Hello and welcome to PCI Reloaded. This is a show for entrepreneurs who want to become more powerful, creative, and influential in life and business through the study and application of NLP, hypnosis, and related disciplines. This episode will serve as a follow-up to last week's episode on the meta model. In today's episode, we will discuss the linguistic underpinnings of the meta model as outlined in Eric Robbie's article titled, The Ordering Principle of the Meta Model. Let's dive in. Now first, we're going to start off with the history of the meta model. Now, the meta model made its original appearance in The Structure of Magic, Volume 1. This is written by Richard Bandler and John Grinder, the co-founders of NLP, aka Neuro Linguistic Programming. Now, the first attempted ordering of the meta model um, occurred in 1980 by a man named Steve Langton. Um, prior to that, um, there was an indirect ordering that was done by Robert Dose, who was also another um, prominent member of the NLP community. Now, a man by Eric Robbie had went and did his first ordering and as a result of that, um, ended up getting passed down to several generations of NLP practitioners throughout Europe. Now, the official ordering of the meta model came out in 1987 by that same gentleman, Eric Rabi, and this is some um, of the ordering that is passed on along um, today. Now, um, before we go into um, the actual theory, the actual modern linguistics theory of NLP, um, we're going to go over the X-bar theory, which is um, based upon. Now, in the Structure of Magic Volume 1, John Grinder and Richard Bandler make a distinction between deep structure and surface structure. Now, the these terms originated from the standard theory of transformational grammar, which was originally formulated by Noam Chomsky back in 1965. Now, transformational grammar is a system of language analysis that recognizes the relations among various elements of a sentence and among the possible sentences of a language, and uses processes or rules, some of which are called transformations, to express those relationships. Now, surface structure is a sentence in the form that it is heard or written, while deep structure is an abstract representation that identifies ways that a sentence can be analyzed and interpreted. Now, to give you an example of a surface structure and deep structure, here will be an example of a surface structure sentence. Just a random sentence, I know a man who flies planes. Now, the deep structure behind that sentence is that I know a man and that he flies planes. Like, these are the things that absolutely must be true in order for this sentence to make sense. Now, there were several problems with the standard theory and they were well known by the time that the structure of Magic Volume 1 came out. Now, this is the most obvious problem from a linguistic perspective. And our question is, um, how do you make the nominalized version of a phrase or sentence without breaking all of the deep structure rules? Now, to give you an example, here's a source. Um, this is an example sentence from Bounding in Greek Sentence. Um, sentence 1, Brezhnev criticized Chomsky. And sentence 2, Brezhnev's criticism of Chomsky. Now, both of these sentences do have the same deep structure, but it's nearly impossible to write out rules that track each step from one sentence to the other. Now, here's a few questions that need to be answered. Um, first off, how do you go from Brezhnev to Brezhnev with an apostrophe? Next, how do you get from criticize the verb to criticism the noun singular when it's possible that Brezhnev could have had two or more criticisms of Chomsky? And also, let's say you manage to go from criticize to criticism. You still have to put an of in front of it. And where does that of come from? You can't just make it up or pull it out the sky. And also there are at least six or more ways to make a nominalization out of a verb in the English language. So which is the right one for any given verb? Is it do you add an ANCE as in performance or add a ment as in bewilderment or add an ism as in criticism? And then there's a preposition. Now, if you have to add one, how do you know which one to use? Now, do you add a two as in marriage two? Or do you add a four as in proposal four? Or do you add an of as in criticism of? And even Noam Chomsky himself later admitted that it's hard to draw a general rule when there's no regular pattern for forming the nominalized word. 
So in short, there are two major problems with standard theory. is that there were many instances that didn't follow transformational rules, and there were instances where deep structure couldn't completely give rise to the meaning of the sentence the way that it should. So what's the solution? Instead of thinking of the individual words as sentences, it made more sense to group the words into phrases. Those phrases acted as language modules which could be plugged in and out of sentences. So modern linguistics has shown there to be a common anatomy in all of the world's languages. Now first, there's, there's something called the noun phrase, also NP for short. Now it's named after the noun that appears in a phrase. Now the noun phrase owes most of its properties to that one noun. So to give you an example, we let's say we have a noun phrase called the cat in the hat. Now here, we're talking about a type of cat rather than just a type of hat. So the special noun is also referred to as the head of the phrase. And the verb phrase, also a VP for short, also follow a similar pattern. Example, flying to Canada before the police catch him is an example of flying as opposed to catching. So the first principle is that the entire phrase is about what his head word is about. And the second principle is that sets of players interact with each other in particular ways, each with a specific role. So here's a quick example sentence. Sergey gave the documents to the spy. Now in this sentence, there are three entities that we need to account for. The first one is Sergey, who is the giver. The second one is the documents, which is the gift. And the third one is the spy, also known as the receiver. Now noun phrases can assign roles to one or more role players. And the head and the role players are joined together in a subphrase, which is smaller than a noun phrase or a verb phrase. Now the standard terminology is called an n-bar or v-bar, named after the way that they are written. So this is an example of an n-bar, um, courtesy to Eric Robbie. So you see here we have the noun, which is the head, and we have here is the prepositional phrase, the PP. So that's um, um, which is the role player right here, and this over and these two together is what makes up the n-bar. Now the third ingredient of a phrase is one or more modifiers. So to give you an example, let's have, take these two phrases here, on phrase one being the man from Illinois and phrase two being the governor of California. Now in phrase two, the governor of California, in order to be a governor, you have to govern something. Now this is where the New York part comes into play. Now from Illinois, there's an extra piece of information to help identify which man you're talking about. Now the distinction between role players and modifiers dictate how the phrase structure tree looks. So the role player stays next to the head noun inside of the n-bar, but the modifier goes in a separate branch but stays within the NP house. So here's an example of how that look like. As you see here, that we have um the modifier over here from Illinois, which goes on its own separate branch, but it's still housed under the noun phrase tree. Now what's true for n-bars and noun phrases is also true for v-bars and verb phrases. So to give you an example, um, survey gave those documents to the spy in the hotel. Now to the spy is one of the role players of the verb give, so it lives with the head verb inside of the v-bar. Now in a hotel is a modifier that is kept outside of the v-bar but is still in the vp. Now the fourth component of a phrase is called the subject, or as linguists call them, the spec. Now the subject is a type of is a type of role player that usually acts as a called so agent if one exists. Now so in this example we have the guitarist destroyed the hotel room. Now the guitarist is a subject or the causal agent where the hotel room is destroyed. And noun phrases can also have subjects as well. For example, the guitarist destruction of the hotel room. Now when we use this structure, the nominalization problem is solved because there's no need for a transformation. Also tracking each step is covered by common anatomy. Now the choice of ending, A-N-C-E, or linking the appropriate word, or appropriate word or preposition, like word by for example, is relocated to the lexicon. 
Now here's some similarities um, between noun phrases and verb phrases. They each have a head word, which gives the phrase its name and determines what it's about. Some role players, which are grouped with the head inside a head phrase. Modifiers, which appear outside of the N bar or the V bar. And a subject, also known as a spech. In the same ordering, i.e. the noun or the verb, comes before its role players. Now the same rules also apply for prepositional phrases as well as adjectival phrases. So the foundations of XWOT theory was laid by Noam Chomsky back in 1970 and was added to by others over the next couple of years. Now the bulk of the theory was already in existence by the time the structure of Magic 1 came out. So now that we finished going over that background work, now we're going to jump into the actual meta model itself and how it applies to the XWOT theory. So first we're going to go over the deletion patterns. Now this is a group of patterns that don't all use the same mechanisms. In fact, deletion can happen in one of two places, either somewhere in the journey from having a complete experience to forming a complete sentence, or somewhere in the journey from forming a complete sentence to offering spoken words. Now here's a diagram um, by Eric Robbie that goes over where each happens. So you see here for simple deletion, comparative deletion, lack of referential index, etc. Now the structure of Magic 1 also doesn't classify lack of referential index and unspecified verbs as examples of deletions. Instead, they were given examples of generalization. Later on, writers classified them as a deletion phenomenon. So first, let's go over the unspecified verb. Now here's some example sentence. John gave the book to Mary. Now according to expert theory, the verb becomes the dominant force in the sentence. It also determines the kind of role players and how many it expects to be surrounded by. So in this example sentence, we have gave, we have gave which is the verb, um, John, who is the giver, um, the book, which is the thing being given, and Mary, who is the receiver. Now the choice of the verb is crucial to whatever is going on. And in terms of ordering, both structurally and lexically, the choice of the verb operates on all of the other meta model patterns in the group. Now when we change the verb by either refining its range or improving its accuracy, we also affect the spec and all the other role players as well. Next, we're going to go over the unspecified referential index and the specifier of the verb phrase. Now, after the verb, the most important element of a sentence is the subject or the spec. Now, even when the subject is present, it is usually referred to but not pointed at or out. In practical terms, a sentence like John gave the book to Mary becomes he gave the book to Mary. This results in a sentence which does not have a meaning base in the real world. According to Data Criterion, there should be one and only one occupant in each key role. Data Criterion is a constraint on expert theory and it was originally proposed by Noam Chomsky and is used to determine the specific match between arguments and data roles in logical form. Logical form is a level of representation that sits next to deep structure and surface structure. It was originally created when linguists were trying to solve the problem of quantification. Now, depending on which verb we choose, the range of who or what the subject can be has been fixed. In other ways, the vain verb operates on lack of referential index. Now, Eric Riby recommends that unspecified referential index should be lack of referential index and unspecified verb should be incompletely specified verb because specifier is specified has new different usages. So next, we're gonna go over an unspecified referential index in any of the role players. Now, if role player has not been omitted or left out, it is usually replaced with either a pronoun or pronomen. In this case, an example of that would be Jack gave it to Mary, which it here is um, the unspecified referential index. Now, the previous argument for the URI is the same as this one. To gain clarity, you would simply ask something along the lines of gave what or to whom. Now, in terms of ordering, unspecified verb operates on unspecified referential index. Next, we're gonna go over simple deletion. 
Now, the argument for unspecified verb and unspecified referential index also applies here. When a deletion occurs in therapy, it's usually involved what's called a state change verb or state change objectives. The stress is generally placed on a person's emotional reaction and all the detail after that is usually omitted. So this usually takes the form of I'm hurt or I'm angry. Now, according to Eric Robbie, since these are really the verb to be, but a state description objective, the role players involved are those which each adjective requires. Now, if the person says I'm hurt, then this should be followed up with either a noun phrase by your action or as a sentence at what you did. Now, in terms of ordering, the main verb operates on any role player. Next, we're going to go over comparative deletion. Now, when the meta model was first introduced, comparative deletion was thought of as part of a larger sentence. Now, there was a part of the sentence that was neither visible nor audible upon first hearing or first sight. Now, for example, here's an example sentence, Diana is much better now. And here, the hidden sentence is than she was yesterday. So the speaker was judging Diana against some basis of comparison. To challenge the utterance, you would ask for a basis of comparison. This is known as a comparative. Now, since we're using X-bar theory, we no longer need to do that, and we can just focus on the words used in the X-bar phrase. Now, we can group together absolute objectives, words like good and fine, comparative objectives like better and happier, and superlative objectives like best and ultimate, and call them members of the modifier class. Now, you don't have to wait for a person to use a comparative to ask them what the standards are. Now, for example, now here's example. Person A says this is a good idea. Person B says good. Good compared to what? Now, modifiers are selected based on the X-bar item which they modify. In other words, whatever NPs acting as a spec or role players they're attached to. Now, both unspecified referential index and simple deletion operate on any modifier that would be employed. So next, we're going to go over nominalization. Now, nominalization is a catch-all for any and all patterns we've discussed so far. Now, Here's an example of a nominalization communication. We have to improve our communication. Now the question to ask is who is communicating what to whom? Now in the original sentence, there's an entire second sentence turned into a single word and then frozen and tucked away inside of the first one. Now this means that the nominalization already contains a verb. We revealed the verb by taking the original head down, i.e. communication, and turning it into a verb which is communicating. Now we also have a choice of which verb to respond to. Have to, which operates on improve, improve, which operates on communicating, or communicating itself. Now most accounts of the meta model only suggest the last. Now, within a sentence, the nominalization, i.e. communication, operates on everything else. But in the outer sentence, the verb head improves, operates on communication. So next, we're going to go over the generalization patterns. Now, these metamodel patterns deal with generalizing or forming broad conclusions based on limited data. Now, first, we're going to go over the universal quantifier. Now, sentences that begin with all and always, every and none, and every time and never usually show in relation to people and things or with actions i.e. how often a verb is occurring. So here's an example of um, a universal qualifier. All my friends lie to me. Now, um, if we were to break that down into um, a logical form, like this is how a professional logician would see it. For all x, if x is my friend, x lies to me. Now here, um, for all x is a quantifier, and this is a proposition which gets quantified. If x is my friend, x lies to me. Now the word all affects the whole sentence. And when the universal quantifier is added to a verb, it tells you about action and processes and focuses on time instead of quantity. So an example of that would be Glasgow Rangers always win the League Cup comfortably. Now, according to Eric Robbie, the quantifying effect of the word always wraps itself around the VP and then around the whole sentence. 
So um, if you were to break that down into like a logical statement, like a way a professional logician will look at it, it will be for all X. If X is the team called Glasgow Rangers, X wins the League Cup. Now the logical form for actions and processes is the same is exact same as the logical form for people and things. Now the above analysis also applies for what used to be called generalized referential index. Now here the referential index refers to the subject of the sentence. Now with um, generalized referential index, they could be treated as if there was an implied all in front of it. So an example of this would be people are weird. So here um, we can um, we can say that there's an implied all people are weird in this sentence. Since it's not talking, since it's not there, we can apply can imply that. Next, we're going to go over modal operators. Now, there are two main types of modal operators, one which is possibility, can or can't, and the other which is necessity, like must or mustn't. Now here, um, we have um, the can't one. The Red Sox can't win the World Series this year. Now, can starts off by operating on the verb phrase whose headword is win and winds up controlling the entire sentence. Now, we can sh also show the global influence of can't by formally moving it to the front of the sentence and have it work on the entire proposition. Now the logical form of the previous sentence is not possible P, what P stands for any proposition. So if we was to write that out it would be it is not possible that the Red Sox will win the World Series this year. Now this also happens when the keyword is must or mustn't rather than can't. So an example of that would be Glasgow Rangers must win the Scottish League Cup. Now, if you were to break that into its own logical counterpart, it would be it is necessary that Glasgow Rangers win the Scottish League Cup. Now, generalization patterns operate on the deletion patterns. Next, we're going to go over the distortion patterns. Now, the distortion patterns deal with the relation between two sentences where you get one sentence embedded inside of the other. Now, the outside sentence comments or reports on the inside one. So, the first one we're going over is the loss performative. Now, loss performative occurs when someone makes a rule or judgment without taking responsibility for it. So, um, an example of that would be it's bad to be inconsistent. Now, we could also rephrase that by saying, I say that it's bad to be inconsistent. Now, in this example, the outer sentence is, I say that it's bad to be inconsistent, while the inner sentence is, it's bad to be inconsistent. Now, note a verb phrase can also be regarded as a complete sentence. Next, we're going to go over mind reading. Now, a mind read is a claim to know someone else's thoughts or feelings without verification. So an example of that would be, you don't like me. Now we can phrase that another way by saying, I know that you don't like me. Now next is complex equivalence. Now in this pattern, the head word is means. Now the subject or the spec is external evidence and what it means is a conclusion. So here we have an example sentence, you don't bring me flowers means that you don't love me anymore. Um, next is cause and effect. Now here's an example sentence, you make me feel bad. Now you are the cause and me feeling bad is the effect. Now the head word for the outer sentence is make. And there's also an embedded sentence or VP built around the second verb feel. Now the distortion patterns in the meta model all evolve a shift in focus from the verb or head word inside the embedded sentence to the verb or head word of the outside sentence. Now for each distortion pattern, the head verb, aka the knowledge predicate, operates on the embedded sentence on the right. Now in each pattern, you're either knowing or saying or else asserting that some kind of meeting or causing is going on. In short, the distortion patterns are forms of projection where the person is adding something to their map or model which isn't there in reality. 
Um, finally, we're going to go over presuppositions. Now, a presupposition is something that is assumed to be true based on the information that is available. Now, presuppositions operate on the rest of the meta model by virtue of entailment in a logical form. Now, entailment occurs when one is able to draw necessary conclusions from a particular use of a word, phrase, or sentence. Now, um, here's an example sentence. If my husband knew how much I suffer, he wouldn't do that. Now, we can ask some standard model questions based off that type of sentence. How are you suffering? Um, what is he doing? Um, how do you know he doesn't know? Or how does his doing that cause you to suffer? Now, when we approach it this way, we tend to get typical responses. Now, a better way would be to ask yourself what must be there and you arrive at what's already there in her model. So going back to the previous sentence, um, we know that she suffers and we know that he's doing something and we know that he doesn't know and she knows that he doesn't know and he know that his doing that is causing her to suffer. Now the process of getting from what the woman said to formulating the original four questions is one that's taken place in your mind. This process should match what must have gone on in her own mind. Now, the act of reversing a presupposition on multiple ones is one of inference. You deduce because she presupposes the four statements given above, and then you respond to them. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to dive deeper into NLP, then I recommend checking out our NLP mind map. It breaks down all the different topics and subtopics within NLP, and it's a really useful reference to have. So to get access to that mind map, all you have to do is go to PCIAlpha.com forward slash mind map and you can download it for free all you have to do is enter your email and it'll get sent to your inbox within a few minutes or so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on pci reloaded bye for now